The Christmas Chronicles, an exclusive dramatic reading by Tim Slover, presented by BYU Radio. This eight-part series captures the magic and mystery of everyone's favorite Yuletide character, revealing a true and complete history of Santa Claus. Episode 6 of Space and Time. St. Klaus sat in his sleigh on Christmas Eve and worried. The eight flyers stood in their traces. They were puzzled, eager to be in the air again. Dasher craned his head around from the front of the line, wanting to say something encouraging, but seeing Klaus's expression, he could not find the words. Poor man, he thought. Whatever will he do, now that he realizes? It had all gone so well at first, Klaus thought back to his very first day at Castle Noel when Anna had whispered her question into his ear about the crowd of people in the courtyard. Who are they all? A young woman had stepped forward. Or was she young? Klaus had wondered. She had the freshness of youth, but also the completeness of maturity. She may even have been old once, but not now. Welcome, the young woman had said, We hope you like your country as much as we have enjoyed making it. We like it very much, Klaus had replied. He bowed. Thank you, all of you, for your labours. May we know who you are? We're elevated spirits, of course, a man called out. Klaus frowned slightly. You don't seem like spirits, he said. You seem very solid. So are all spirits who have elevated, another explained. Oh, just call us elves, someone else said. That's what we call ourselves. And they all laughed as though this was the greatest joke in the world. Three cheers for St. Klaus and St. Anna, cried out the first young woman. And three more for the eight flyers who brought them home. Everyone cheered. And those who had caps threw them in the air. Many of the elevated spirits had chosen to stay in the new country they had made, and many more had come afterwards who had the wish to make toys. And what if some of the elves are all thumbs, Klaus remarked to Anna. I like teaching them, and I'm going to need the help. It looks as though our deliveries are going to expand. And expand they did. Each Christmas Eve, Klaus had driven down the straight road with more and bigger sacks of toys. And always, no matter how far afield Klaus had flown, his fame had flown faster, and more and more children had waited in eager expectation for his visits. And the glad years had taken wing, one after the other, and flown away. How many years? It was hard to count them in the true north. You will get an idea of life there if you think of being on holiday. When you are on holiday, you fill each precious day with just what you like to do, and with just whom you want to do it, and you love each day just for itself. You don't really care if it's Tuesday or Friday, and you're freed from the noise and bother of the world so long as your holiday lasts. Well, in the true North, the holiday always lasts. And so, while Klaus noticed that the chimneys he let toys down were beginning to be made of brick, and this made his job longer and trickier, 
And while Anna noted that her batches of maple sugar cookies enjoyed by one and all at Castle Noel were growing ever larger, and while Dasher made meticulous mental notes of all the new places they were visiting, and with the help of cartographer elves converted his observations into more and more maps and flight charts, none of them could tell you exactly how many years had passed since the founding of the True North. Nor could any tell you exactly what year it was, as reckoned by earthly calendars. They were, you see, all on holiday. But now, brooding in his sleigh on this particular Christmas Eve, all Klaus's happiness had evaporated. The dawn was coming. Man and beast could feel it. The chill wind blowing up, the dark beginning to thin into grey just at the horizon's edge. And though he was too far away to hear it, he knew the matin's bell would soon be ringing out in his little former village, signalling the end of Christmas Eve and the end of the blessing Father Goswin had invoked all those years ago on toys delivered on this special night. He looked behind him in the sleigh and saw, amid all the empty sacks, the one still half filled with toys for what was intended to be the last village of the night, and the first where the children spoke an entirely different language. Now those children would be disappointed. He had stretched his route too far. It was now impossible, even for a flying saint, to make all his deliveries on Christmas Eve. He had failed. Klaus sighed. He reached for the reins to turn the team back towards the straight road when, from the front of the line, he heard a word. Try, was the word. Klaus looked up from his brooding. Dasher was looking hard at him. Try, the reindeer said again. It is not yet dawn. Remember what St. Nicholas said. There's much for us to discover. Try. Well, there was never harm in trying. In fact, come to think of it, Klaus thought, trying was itself a kind of magic. All right, he would try, despite the grey turning into rose just at the eastern horizon's edge behind him. Very well, he shouted. On, Dasher! On, Dancer! And... On everyone! The eight flyers sprang up, filling the air with the silver jingle of their harness bells as they flew away. Maybe, hoped Klaus as the wind whistled through his beard, if I don't look behind me, I can pretend the sun isn't rising. If I just keep going, perhaps I can somehow get to that foreign village before it's too late. He shut his eyes tight against the morning light he feared was coming. Luckily, Dasher was carrying a good map of Europe in his head, so Klaus didn't need to steer. If only dawn wouldn't come, Klaus wished. And then he said aloud with all his heart, if only time would stop. Except that he didn't say that at all. The sleigh was just at that moment shooting over the border, and so what Klaus actually said was, si seul le temps s'arrêterait. It so astonished him to find himself speaking another language that he opened his eyes. And then he wished he hadn't, for looming up suddenly in front of the sleigh was a vast wall of what looked like ice, 
all sapphire and emerald and amethyst. Attention! shouted Klaus, but it was no good. The wall had appeared so fast that Dasher, in the lead, knew he couldn't avoid crashing into it. He braced for a collision that would break all their bones and shatter the sleigh to pieces. He hit the wall with the speed of a comet and simply passed through. It wasn't ice at all. It was a piece of the Aurora Borealis, flown down from the north and dancing in the air in front of them. First Dasher and Dancer and then all the reindeer and last of all Klaus in the sleigh passed into the northern lights and out the other side. They all felt a shimmer of warmth as though they had gone through a band of summer and caught the scent of peppermint which let them know they were in the presence of Christmas magic. Dasher led the sleigh down from the clouds onto the ground and slid to a stop. They all needed to catch their breaths and let their hearts slow down. Each made a check of his or her body parts. Yes, thank goodness, all still knit together in one piece. Then suddenly Klaus groaned. He had just remembered the village and the toys. Now we're even later, he said. Only he said it in the new language, which the reindeer now understood perfectly. We'll never get the toys to the last village before... He looked back over his shoulder to the dawn which must surely be growing in the east. And then the words simply died on his lips. The dawn was not growing. The sky was not one scintilla lighter or pinker than it had been before they had passed through the aurora. The sun was stuck. Time had stopped. Klaus and the eight flyers looked out at the world in amazement. Nothing moved, not the clouds partially obscuring the winter stars, not a single blade of the grey grass poking through the crust of snow at their feet. A fox, on the hunt a little distance away, looked as though he were pasted to the ground, with one paw up. The world was motionless and silent. Finally, after no one said anything for a rather long time, Klaus ventured in a voice hushed with wonder, we shall have to be careful about birds when we're flying. And so, just as St Nicholas had said he would, Klaus had discovered another important piece of his life's work, the art and science of chronolepsy. Or, as the elvish slang has it, time stop. On Christmas Eve, and only on Christmas Eve, Klaus may call on time to tarry as he tarries. A flame of the aurora borealis rushes to him wherever he is and bathes him, his sleigh, and the eight flyers in its dancing light. And then they may take as long as they wish with their deliveries. They may fly for days or months while time takes a holiday. Of course, Klaus takes great care to start and stop time precisely as he moves across the globe. Chronoleptic oscillation, the physicists of the true north call it, so that his deliveries all take place on Christmas Eve wherever he may be. To those in the world, of course, time does not stop, and so to them it appears that Klaus's work takes no time at all. Toys are simply there, under the tree or in stockings on Christmas morning. Only a very special person, one who is almost an elevated spirit already, may see Klaus or his reindeer on Christmas Eve, and then only as the barest flicker which teases their imaginings. Charles Dickens was such a person, 
as were Clement Moore and Mr. May. But once again, I'm getting ahead of this chronicle. On this memorable Christmas Eve, the eight flew to the last village and for the first time in his life, Klaus delivered his toys without the least worry about how long it was taking. But he also found some houses which had no chimneys or smoke holes at all, just small pipes in their roofs, which had led, he remembered uncomfortably, to Rolf Eckhoff's thefts. When all the deliveries had been made, a novel and enticing idea came into Klaus's head. It's been a long night, I know, he said to Dasher and the others. Still, I wonder if anyone might care to, well, see something of the world. Time must be stopped at Castle Noel too, so there's no need to hurry back. And then all his eagerness came tumbling out. I've heard there's an ocean, and I want to see if it's true. And are there really places where there's always snow, and places where there's never? Well, you know how it is with Klaus's enthusiasms. It's best not to stand too close when they occur, because they're as catching as a cold. Vixen, who was standing close, suddenly had a fleeting vision of sweet grass under swaying trees that made her pretty ears stand straight up. That same vision hit Comet and Blitzen next, and they stamped their hoofs twice each. By the time it arrived at Dasher and Dancer, in the front of the tracers, all the reindeer were snorting steam and pawing the snow, restless to be off on their tour. Dasher bugled to the sky. Then he cried in a great voice, Let us show this carpenter what it means to really fly. And they sprang from the roof with such a violence of speed that Klaus nearly fell out of his sleigh. Within a few seconds, they were streaking north faster than a shooting star. We will take you to our home first, Dasher shouted back to Klaus. And under half an hour later, the sleigh swooped low and Klaus marveled at what he saw. 10,000 reindeer spread across a vast field of snow, glowing faintly periwinkle in the light of the pre-dawn sun. And though the reindeer, too, were chronoleptically stuck, their antlered heads were all pointing south. They go to better pasturage, Prancer told Klaus. Except what he really said was, ne menevat paramin letumel, because that was how people spoke where they were now. It was really quite wonderful, this phenomenon of languages coming into your head the moment you entered the countries in which they were spoken. Like chronolepsy, it occurs only on Christmas Eve and came to be known at Castle Noel as the lingua franca effect. It is, incidentally, this effect, distilled and infused into its pages, which allows you and everyone else in the world, esteemed reader, to understand this book. Then Dasher led the sleigh up and away. They flew east now, even faster than before, and much higher. In fact, they were soon at such a prodigious altitude that most people would not have found air or heat enough to sustain them. But they were not troubled by this. As they reached the very pinnacle of the sky, Klaus beheld the curve of the earth. And then he knew the true purpose of his strong desire. He had been meant to see this sight, the whole world as one mighty arc. The earth is great beyond my wildest reckoning, he thought and it must contain children beyond count. 
for the first time, the enormity of the task he had volunteered to undertake became clear to him, and it left him hushed and humbled. To make toys and deliver them to all those children, the thought was staggering. They flew and flew across broad plains and dark blue seas, and the languages which jumped into and out of their heads one after another grew dizzying. They passed over vast deserts and steppes of tall grass, and still they flew. Klaus munched one or two of Anna's cookies. They sustained him wonderfully, and he felt he had the energy to go on forever, but the reindeer were getting a little hungry. In time, Klaus and the eight came to a range of mountains so lofty that, high as they were flying, the eternally white peak of the tallest almost scraped the runners of the sleigh as they hurtled past it. By this time, the sun, still fastened immovably in the sky, was directly overhead, for Klaus had not performed oscillation on this first chronoleptic flight. Far down below, Klaus spied what looked like a huge fortress in a mountain fastness, Dasher, he called. Let's get a closer look. So Dasher wheeled and turned and sped down the sky toward the big complex of buildings. The walls of it grew from the very rock. They slowed and flew closer to peer into the courtyards. There they saw golden men in saffron robes, all chronoleptically stopped in mid-motion. But one man was completely unaffected. He was looking up at them and waving cheerfully. Come down, he called to Klaus. There's provender for your reindeer, and I would like some chat with you. While Dash and his siblings munched on hay, and it was foreign and spicy but very good, Klaus walked in a bright courtyard with the man who had hailed him. Kelzong Gyatso was his name, and if any had been there to observe, they would have smiled to see two such different men walking together, one large and clad in crimson with great boots on his feet, the other slight, barefoot and wearing a yellow robe, and yet somehow they went together. Kelzong told Klaus about four noble truths and an eightfold path, and it all seemed very beautiful, if strange, to Klaus. At last, Kelzan said, Well, Klaus, you have seen the world now and seen it whole. What do you think of it? Some children must be poor, Klaus said, even hungry. That is true, Kelzan replied. I do not like the thought, Klaus said. You are one who is called to relieve the dukkha, the sorrow of the world, through your Christmas labours, Kelzang said. You are a fire, Klaus, and if any will draw near you with their hearts, they will be kindled by you, and they will feed the hungry children. That gladdened Klaus, but there was one more nagging problem. It may seem trivial compared to all we have discussed, but go on, please. Kelzan said. How am I to get toys inside of homes? Klaus blurted out. Now that I see, many have no chimneys. Ah, I see, said Kelzang. Come with me, please. Looking up from his munching, 
Dasher saw Klaus and the man in the saffron robe disappear into a building with a golden door. When they came out, half an hour later, he heard Kelsang say to Klaus, I think you will find it will be useful. Well, Dasher asked Klaus as they prepared to fly away, what did he show you? Wait and see, Klaus said. There was a distinct twinkle in his eye. In a moment they were once more flying high over great wide plains and then across a narrow sea to another land. Sagari Masu Kudasai, Klaus called out as they approached a city of graceful upturned tile roofs and Dasher obliged by flying lower. I've one more gift to give this Christmas Eve, he said. In a moment they were beside a particular house Klaus had chosen. But there's no chimney, Dasher said. Precisely, said Klaus, as he rummaged around to find the last toy in his sack, a set of paints and brushes. He stood before the house's very solid, very locked door and shut his eyes. Privately, Dasher wondered if perhaps his old friend had got light-headed from all the high-altitude flying. This door is an illusion, Klaus murmured. It is Maya, a veil through which I may enter. And then Klaus walked through the closed door as if it were not there. The reindeer shot 60 feet into the air in surprise, but almost before they had returned to Earth, Klaus was outside the house again, rubbing his hands in glee. <laughs> well, well, he said, it works, just as Kelzang said it would. I don't understand a bit of it, but it works. I never have to worry about chimneys again. And so the Maya principle was born. It is this. No closed door, no wall, no matter its thickness, may keep Klaus out on Christmas Eve. He has always credited this phenomenon to the teaching of Kelzong Gyatso. But as Dasha muttered while Klaus cheerfully climbed back into the sleigh and they all shot once more into the sky, comes from being a saint, I suppose. The little boy who received the paint set, by the way, was called Tokitaro, and they launched him on a great and distinguished art career. And now Klaus and the Eight were speeding east over an immense azure ocean, bigger than anything they had yet encountered. The sun was behind them when they finally spotted a chain of islands, like jewels sparkling in the sea. The language which entered their heads now was all soft breezes and the gentle roll of waves on white sand. Without any warning at all, Vixen suddenly plunged down out of the air, dragging all the other reindeer and the sleigh with her. Akahele! Klaus shouted in alarm, but it was no good. The vision of soft grass under swaying trees had abruptly entered Vixen's mind again, and she felt sure its fulfillment was below. Sure enough, when they landed on one of the islands, it had a volcano right in the middle of it. They found large trees swaying in a gentle breeze near a stream. Below them was the tenderest, freshest grass Vixen or any of the other reindeer had ever eaten. Klaus tried a sweet, pulpy orange fruit he picked from one of the trees and found it delicious. He followed it with a large, hard nut, which, when cracked on a runner of the sleigh, revealed snow-white meat and a refreshing drink. Then he took off as many of his clothes as he thought proper, and I do not know because he has not said how many that was, and splashed into the sea. The reindeer followed his lead, 
and they had a glorious time swimming in the surf and relaxing in the sun after their long labors and a longer flight. And if you have never seen a reindeer body surf, I must tell you that you have missed an astonishing sight. I shall bring Anna here on holiday next Christmas Eve while time is still stopped, Klaus declared. And that is exactly what he did and has done every Christmas Eve since. Klaus and the eight rinsed the salt water off in the stream, dried themselves in the tropical sun, and then flew away into the east until they came once again to countries where it was still night, and then on to where it was just beginning to be dawn. The language in Klaus's head was now his own, and he knew he was back where he had started. The straight road shone in front of them, a beacon in the black forest. All were eager to race up it at once and away home, but something caught Klaus's eye. A piece of paper, folded twice, was lodged in one of the holly bushes standing at either side of the entrance. Klaus stooped to pluck it from the branches. He read it through once, and then he read it again. Oh my, he said. He tucked it into his pocket as the sleigh sped up the road. Time start! he shouted as they glided to a stop before the gate of Castle Noel. Everything burst into life. The gate opened and Anna ran out to greet Klaus. That was quick, she said. And then she stepped back and looked strangely at her husband. How did you get a suntan on Christmas Eve, she asked. Never mind that, Klaus said. Look at this. And he gave her the folded note. When she read it, her eyes grew wide. Oh, my, she said. I know, Klaus said. This changes everything. You have heard Episode 6 of Space and Time from the Christmas Chronicles, performed by Richard Johnstone. Next time here, be of good cheer. The Christmas Chronicles is an eight-part dramatic reading written by Tim Slover. Music is by Robert Roberry. To hear the entire Christmas Chronicles, go to our website, byuradio.org.